Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mining Now. I'm your host, Jared Downey. Joining me is Gaudi Molina. Good morning, Gaudi. Good morning. How are you? Um, I, I'm, I'm doing well, I think. <laughs> oh, you're on the, you're on the I, spring break, aren't you? Spring break. Yeah. So uh, you don't see her, uh, you know, but she's off camera taking a nap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's the way the world is now. Um, we are featuring BitService today. Their president and CEO, Scott Barr, is going to be joining us. We are, they're doing a lot of work in the potash sector, but they're, they, they currently do work in other sectors, but they're looking to expand. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that the services they provide, the machines they work on. And before we do any of that, Gaudi, let's hand it over to you for our sponsors. Absolutely. Let's get this going. So first up, we've got Savannah Equipment. Savannah Equipment supplies new and used mining equipment around the world from placer to underground to ore processing plants. They have gold concentrating tables, trommels, and mineral jigs in stock now to take advantage of the high gold prices. You can visit their entire inter, uh, inventory sorry, at savannahequipment.com, where you will find more equipment every day. And of course, tell your company's story to thousands of mining professionals every week. Use our platform, Mining Now, Crownsman Energy, or the Crownsman Show um, to connect with your customers. Um, we've got uh, two episodes a week uh, on our channel. So don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel and contact us, info at crownsman.com. Um, we also have PowerZone. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit PowerZone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge, no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone. Visit them at PowerZone.com. And last but not least, of course, we could not forget, mark your calendar, CIM 2021 Convention and Expo is coming to you this May. It is going May 3rd to 6th. And as a virtual event, it has never been easier to attend. Get insight from industry leaders like Anglo-Americans Mark Kutifani, Caterpillar's Denise Johnson, Torx Gold's Jody Kuzenko, and many more. Explore mining operations through virtual site tours, find the solutions and the expertise you need with technical talks, Q&A sessions, and the CIM Expo, Canada's Mining Marketplace. That again, that's May 3rd to 6th. Visit, um, sorry, visit cim.org to register today. There we Thank go. Thank you very much. And yours truly will be hosting their plenary session. So then you definitely have to check it out. <laughs> so I'll take it personally. Get more of Jared. That's <laughs> what um, so everybody needs. Uh, how many times they see my face a week? Um, okay, Scott, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm excited to have BitService on. Uh, the company's been around a while, uh, so I'm, I'm excited to dig into it. Yes, for sure. Thank you for having me on today. Um, let's start off with, I was thinking with... Uh, when I heard the one sponsor Savinar Equipment, my, my first thought was, I bet you BitService has had <laughs> their parts on a machine that Sav or multiple machines that Savinar Equipment has sold. So I wanted to jump right into that. What type of machines, what, what's the product and what type of machines are you uh, supplying to? For sure. So I, I guess primarily, you know, whether or not you want to dig into our history from how we started or what we currently do, right, which is a little bit of a different story. Um, I guess in terms of, I guess, where we are currently is, uh, you know, looking at everything in terms of mechanical cutting in underground mining and some surface mining. And so, you know, that goes from, uh, you know, two and four rotor boring machines and underground potash, continuous miners and potash and underground coal, 
uh, road headers in both soft rock mining as well as hard rock development mining as well. And then in a lot of the feeder breaker applications in primary crushing in surface applications of coal and some um, hard rock mining as well. Are there, so how, how much of this work is that you're doing is custom? Like on a continuous miner, are there 50 different sizes? Are there a hundred different sizes? Just to give you an idea, maybe pick one of those machines and sort of an example of what it would be to service that. Yeah, so I, I guess on a continuous miner, for instance, I mean, uh, you know, the sizes do vary, as you mentioned, dramatically based on the type of mining that it's doing. Um, you know, a, on a continuous miner, they can deal with situations um, based on, you know, the actual, um, you know, the unconfined compressive strength of the rock, you know, as sizing the machine, but as well as the seam height, you know, they can deal with seam heights as low as, you know, less than three feet in height. And so that's, you know, the, the overall ceiling height of the mine underground, all the way into, say, a potash application where quite consistently you have mining ceiling heights 12 feet or higher, you know, so a very, very spacious application in comparison. And so we do, you know, uh, a little combination of, of both of that, you know, in the, a lot of the industrial mineral sector where, you know, the, the ore that they're looking for, gypsum is a good example where, you know, the seam heights are, you know, anywhere from 28 to 36 inches in height. And so it's, it's very narrow. The mining machine has to fit inside of that envelope as well as the, you know, the underground mining operators that are doing that work. And so, you know, what we do is looking after the, you know, the cutting assembly, the actual drum on the front of the machine, as well as the consumables, the carbide tipped uh, bits that are doing the cutting as well. After that fact, you know, we have the conveyor chains that pull that ore from the, the cut face out to the rubber conveyor belt. And then from that point, you know, we actually look after uh, a lot of the conveyor components as well, the rollers, the idlers, uh, belt scrapers, you know, those kind of maintenance issues as well that come up on the conveying equipment. So you're actually, I, I yeah, when I, when I first came to contact with your company, I misunderstood and I thought it was basically you're doing the ends, the bit, the bit service part of it, but mm -hmm. that isn't, um, but you're doing the whole, can you run through that again? I know there's a picture that you, you showed uh, that you sent over to me. It's a, it's of a, it's of a gray machine. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you just mentioned it, that whole assembly, what you're putting on it. Yeah. So I guess on, on a, you know, a, a boring machine an underground potash, for instance, if you, you know, a typical one would be, you know, a two or a four rotor machine, depending on the, the type of mine that we're in an underground potash mining in Saskatchewan. But on those themselves, I mean, that's how we got our start as a company is actually making the, the cutting bits for the front of the, those boring machines. You know, that was a, it was an industry that at the time didn't exist. It was a, a relatively new, um, you know, mining sector, you know, the, the underground hard rock mining, underground coal, they all had a very mature industry dating back more than a hundred years, but you know, potash mining really didn't get its good start until the early 60s in Saskatchewan. And so that's when we started up our, our corporation as well, was in that time actually, you know, growing with them, actually making those, those bits that, that work specifically on the boring machines that they're operating in. We've evolved over all these years with them, uh, you know, developing those bits to, to work better, to last longer, to give higher service life, to higher, higher performance serviceability. But then, of course, to support that, you know, we look after all the equipment that comes after that point, too. So, you know, the tool holders that those bits are, are located and held in, held for the position of the actual cutting assembly itself. 
the rotors that the tool holders mount on, which fabricate those here as well. You know, then all the conveying components that come in behind uh, to be able to bring that ore from that cut face back to the, the conveying system of the mine. So it was just a, that natural evolution to be able to, to serve the customer, to be able to provide products that were specific to the mines that they needed, as opposed to them relying on, you know, um, I guess, a, an OEM industry that might serve uh, various needs across the world, you know, where they had to make some compromises here. And then we helped them keep everything specific to the cutting uh, conditions that they had in, in our industry to be able to help them perform better, to be, um, you know, uh, competitive on that global market, to be able to stay efficient and, and um, produce the best product at the cost effective price for them. I was curious, um, I, I, do, I do feel bad sometimes for the guests that they have to answer these questions that probably everybody else knows. But um, when you're, when these machines like a boring machine or a continuous miner, are they, is it a continuous, uh, is there a continuous ro rotation of types of bits um, depending on the material they're, they're entering into? Or do you find one that's sort of universal for that site and that machine? Um, Yes, actually, uh, you know, <laughs> to answer that, it, it's a little bit of both, you know, in some cases, in some sites, there are, you know, one, like on a boring machine, they use a radial uh, bit. And in most cases, in a lot of sites, you know, that that one that we narrow down to is kind of that universal bit for that site, and works well in 90% of the conditions. We have some sites that have, you know, two or three uh, different radial bits that they'll then cycle through depending on the ore conditions that they encounter throughout the footprint of the mine. You know, a lot of these mines, given the fact, like I say, they started in the, you know, the mid to late 60s, you know, they're very mature. You know, you get down on underground, they're, they're all mining at a depth of about, you know, give or take about a kilometer uh, in depth. And so, you know, from that point, they extend out, you know, in, in many cases, dozens of kilometers in any direction. So, I mean, there's a good amount of difference that can, you know, they can encounter in their ore conditions between one end of the mine to the other end. And, you know, they have mining machines operating in all those directions. And so, you know, they'll have, uh, you know, one that can handle uh, different types of ore and one that they'll have in the other one that, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we, we end up having to develop over the years with them. You know, we have a bit of a system that goes based on you know the end of the mine that they're working in we have something that'll work in you know um in those different conditions and uh you know it's it's one of the things that keeps us you know as a good strategic partner for them in that you know we're, we're local we're right here we can we can respond very quickly to their varying needs you know as opposed to them you know getting something from you know, uh, I guess Europe or overseas, I guess Europe's also overseas, but, uh, you know, to get something where there is that significant time lag, you know, if they yep. know they're coming into a certain cutting condition, you know, they can call us, you know, really that week, the next week, we can get them out something that, that, you know, serves the needs of the, the new conditions that they're in that will keep them, you know, cutting efficiently in that area. Is that really what something that gives you a market edge? I mean, it company has been around, I want to talk about the history of it. Um, I mean, how, company's been around since 1965 which is not a you know there's some big players um in your space yeah. and there's a lot of competition and a lot of people would obviously love to have the contracts that you have um mm -hmm. is it is, is is that what it is that you you is it the ability to deliver um so quickly yes. is that a big edge definitely because you know you know 
The mining companies themselves are very big, but again, uh, having enormous quantities of inventory to be able to cover all these different conditions they have is also a, a cash flow cost for them as well. You know, for us to be able to look after that, them being able to keep a, a more modest inventory level, you know, and be able to answer the different needs and the different kind of cutting conditions they have is something that, again, helps them be more cost effective and it helps us to be able to serve them um, in a way that, you know, is unique compared to some of the larger, uh, you know, manufacturers that you'll have on a global market where, you know, they would much more prefer to maybe have one product to be able to sell, to be able to make it more cost effective for them and, and to, um, you know, just ease their transition into the market, as it were. I, uh, I, I know there's a lot of NDA things that happen in mining. So we, we always have to be mindful of that on the show. Um, so, but what uh, a company that's been around as long as, as yours, do you know who the, the longest customer is? Uh, yeah, yes, but actually, you know, in, in um, just in potash, you know, as a good example, you know, they've, they've changed, they've changed hands, they've, um, yeah. you know, merged, uh, upgraded, you know, gone through several transitions so that our current customers, you know, they're the same mining sites that we've had over all these years. However, they've gone through several transitions in either uh, ownership or corporate structure in that time that they're, you know, no longer the same uh, I guess the same entity and the same corporation that, that the existing mine was, but same you know, our ones, our ones down in the, the Esterhazy area, you know, where we have our two locations, that'll be the Southeastern corner of the province in Saskatchewan are definitely the, you know, the oldest mines down there. And, you know, through all the years, you know, it's the same, the same mining site, but uh, different companies running it, you know, for all intents and purposes nowadays. Does that, does that pose a challenge? Because, you know, and I hadn't even thought of that, these, the, all the, the changes that uh, mining operate, like mining operations, they do change hands and change leadership. And is that, um, I mean, even a purchasing manager, that position, you know, someone for 10 years and now they're moving on. Um, is that, is that a big challenge in your industry or have you, have you figured out a way to pretty smoothly transition into, to new contacts? Definitely. And, and I mean, ours actually, given the fact that uh, the age of the, the, our sector, our mining sector is, you know, in that 55 year range, we actually do have a lot of people that were, you know, just in the last 10 years have retired from having started in the industry, you know, down in those. So, you know, it is one of those things where, you know, in the, in our last 10, 15 years, we've gone through a lot of that transition of having to, you know, make sure that we're maintaining those relationships and, and um, you know, cultivating new relationships with new people in those same senior leadership positions. But it really comes down to just regular, you know, daily, weekly contact with the mines, making sure that we have those regular conversations that, you know, we don't have new people come into the position that that we're completely foreign to, that we don't have a relationship built up with. So, you know, making sure that we have those introductions made when new people come on site and that, you know, we all have um, Kind of an existing ongoing relationship at all times this is i'm going to try to ask this question right um because there's you know when you talked about investments and things like that you're there the the word a sticky business will come on i think that's i hate it when people misquote buffett but um so but he does talk about having sticky businesses um so where did the company start and uh, you you touch on it earlier um has it has it evolved 
like that core business, is it the same as it originally was? Definitely, yes. Um, you know, I guess, like I said, we started as a corporation uh, looking after the underground mining bits for these uh, mining machines and underground potash and underground coal specifically, the two. And, you know, that was one of those things that, um, that we've, you know, gone through that evolution. We still, that is our core business still today. Um, however, you know, like anything, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that in order to, um, to be more sustainable, to be able to be here in the long term, diversification is key. And so that is definitely one of those things that, you know, even over the years, you know, getting into the supporting equipment as, you know, part of our um, kind of our, our base that we're looking after, as well as, you know, in the last several years, looking into even more diversification outside of, you know, our core market, you know, not, it, it's very, very careful because we also have to make sure that, that our core market, which got us here is also still well looked after and, and we don't look, you know, look elsewhere and, and leave them behind in the meantime. So it's a, a bit of a, a careful transition as well to be able to make sure that we grow thoughtfully and, you know, not expanding outside of our industry and diluting ourselves more so just building on the strengths that we've developed over the years uh, to be able to really uh, provide, you know, the, the same strength that we have for our core market and be able to provide that, that same offering to new clients, new customers in different sectors, and be able to uh, really just cultivate those same relationships that we've built in all those years. And just with a, a new client base, which is really where it's a much smoother, more organic transition, as opposed to, you know, just uh, essentially trying to open up a new market to, to new customers and kind of losing or splitting focus. What is there? Is there a product that you've taken on or a transition that you've done, a service you've expanded to or an industry that you've um, sort of focused in on that in for you was the big it was a big one? It was a it was a big step. Definitely. I, I think really for us, um, you know, a lot of it was actually in, in the actual material conveying because, you know, our, in the past, what we had as a core really for several decades right now, we've, we've looked after material handling in the sense of pulling that ore from the cutting assembly of a machine out onto the, the out by conveyor belt, or if it's shuttle cars or, or loaders that they're, you know, moving that ore away from the underground mining face. And, you know, we had a, a really strong grasp on that. Um, and we were always there with the, you know, the rubber conveyors and the other conveying systems. But it's one of those things that was kind of a natural transition for us too, simply because of the fact that we got a chance to see that most mines were treating those out by conveyors as a simple commodity, you know, a simple, um, you know, replaceable component. And a lot of it was bought and sold and, and you know, just stored as a, an item, like I said, it was commoditized, it was kind of bought on the, the, the lowest price available. Whereas, you know, we went in and, um, you know, searched all around actually ended up finding a, a wonderful strategic partner in Spain with Alma conveyor components where they, their products are developed on the basis of, of sure, um, you know, quality, innovation, and, um, you know, repeatability and in, you know, just bringing something to the market that is over and above, you know, just the, the commodity that they were finding. So, you know, we're able to, again, go to a customer and instead of just telling them we have a product to offer you, you know, as another product to buy, 
we have something where we can actually go in and, you know, uh, improve their return on investment, improve their service life, you know, uh, give them value for something that they were treating as a commodity and kind of, um, kind of guide that conversation a little bit more. And again, strengthen ourselves as a, you know, uh, an actual partner for those minds that, you know, we're in it to be able to help them as opposed to, you know, just, uh, you know, be, you know, have a relationship that's transactional in nature. You touched on something that I've, I mean, I, I would say, especially walking trade show floors when people are trying to engage new business, you know, and you're talking directly and you, so you end up talking in a row, you might talk to five or 10 people mm -hmm. and a major challenge in the industry is we've got something that saves you money over time it's quality but then like you said over here the customer has commoditized it now yeah. you're coming in and you're saying we've got a better more efficient product to provide you with usually that means that there's going to be a little bit bigger of a price tag on it mm -hmm. so how did you approach that because that is a that's a major challenge that the industry has suppliers to the industry have yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, it's tough because again, wh whenever you're getting into a mature um, sector, especially in mining, uh, you know, there's inertia involved, there's loyalty involved with, you know, current suppliers, you know, relationships between procurement professionals, as well as, you know, vendors. And so it was something that we had to, you know, get buy-in from, you know, engineering groups, from um, project managers, other people on site to be able to you know, take that risk, take that jump, the, you know, the leap of faith on, on trying a new component, proving it out first, and then being able to go in and, and, you know, work on it in terms of, uh, you know, the actual quotation, you know, the actual transaction of the, you know, of that situation where, you know, in many cases, you know, because we had, um, you know, vendors that had very, very long time relationships with, you know, certain mines that, you know, again, we're transactional in nature. We're just, you know, it was a commoditized relationship. You know, a lot of times some of those, um, you know, those vendors had, you know, uh, gotten a little comfortable with their pricing too. So in many cases, we were able to provide a product that's superior in, in both uh, concept design as well as quality. And it even came in at a lower price than what they were paying already. So it's, again, it's a, it's a win-win. It's not something where we're going in and you know, looking to, uh, you know, profit off the customer or, you know, feed off them in some way where we're actually providing them value for, for what we're providing them. And they're, be, they're able to see it through both, you know, the, the costs that they're, they're paying as well as their return on investment in service life as well. And it must have given you obviously a huge advantage that you've worked, you know, the, the delivered to this mine for years and years. And now you're adding another product line it's not mm -hmm. this staggering, you're not, you're not trying to, you know, you're not having to have the salesman go up to their front door and knock, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a huge advantage. Again, it, and it all goes back to those, you know, cultivating those relationships and, you know, being there and, and, you know, essentially being a partner for them, helping to solve problems for them on a regular basis. So, you know, when we do call on them, you know, it's not one of those awkward things where they're, you know, oh, darn it, here's that salesman calling again. You right. know, it's, you know, we're there, you know, almost, you know, more as, um, like I say, a problem solver, call it a, you know, almost a consultancy basis where, you know, we're helping them with an issue and then building on that, you know, as opposed to just, you know, trying to insert ourselves as yet another warehouse for them. 
Yeah, every every now and then you still see the uh, the you know the the real salesmen show up. You know the stereotypical salesmen. And nowadays, even I, I'm pretty sure even from five years ago, um, it just looks so out of place now. That yes. style, uh, it's just so oddball when you see that person just storming through, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's you can definitely see that even just from all of our mining customers, whether it be potash, whether it be uh, coal mines, you know, hard rock mines, things like that, where the mines themselves are primarily uh, staffed with leaders in uh, an engineering background, a business yeah. background, they have CPAs, MBAs, you know, they're people who are very thoughtful, uh, they'll research a product, they, they want to be given facts, and, um, you know, they want research done behind what you're doing, as opposed to going in there, and, you know, essentially, using whether it be manipulation or sweet talking them into yeah. looking at a product because you know that just that might get you one sale but it doesn't get you a long-term relationship with that customer yeah it, does, it doesn't keep you in business since 1965 no, that's right. <laughs> yes. um the uh i want to talk a little bit about the different types of uh mines um like a like potash from nickel you know that sort of thing. Because i know you're sort of grounded in that potash industry mm-hmm. but you also service under other industries um, so can you sort of outline, you know, again, again, for you, you've been in that industry so long, it's very easy, but, but a lot of people aren't uh, in that industry. So yeah. what sort of separates the potash industry from, you know, nickel and copper and all and coal and all that? Um, and could you sort of uh, distinguish what the differences are and then how you enter those other markets as well? Well, a lot of it, I mean, really from the outside, their actual mining methods are very different, you know, so Primarily, we'll say, you know, um, potash and coal are both, you know, dominated by mechanical cutting, some sort of conveying up to a processing plant on surface. Uh, You know, a lot of the hard rock mines, be it gold, nickel, um, iron ore, silver, copper, you know, a lot of them, you know, use, we'll use a, a drill and blast method, other types of methods underground where it's then conveyed up, but then really you know, other than that, that actual um, extraction method, whether it be mechanical cutting in the case of, you know, soft rock mining or a drill and blast method or, you know, raised bore method, other sort of things. I mean, you take that out of it, a lot of it is still, the grassroots of it is still, you have an extraction method, you have a conveying method up to being processed on surface. So, you know, that's where we're able to look at it and find some of those synergies between the different types of mining methods where, you know, sure that that initial extraction might be different, but from that point, you know, a lot of those challenges still exist, whether it be, you know, um, being able to convey it properly to be able to, you know, look after those, the hygiene of the belts in the same way, you know, like, like I said, one of the, one of our strategic partners, StarClean, we've taken on where, you know, they just have this uh, very unique and innovative type of belt cleaning system that we've been able to provide. And it's one of those things that provides crossover between, um, you know, the, the soft rock mining in, you know, in potash, as opposed to, you know, a, say a nickel or a copper mine where, you know, they all have the, that challenge of their, you know, you need to be able to maintain that very expensive investment that they have in that conveyor belt underground. And, you know, it's one of those things that we're able to, to go in and help them to be able to preserve that, that huge capital investment that they have. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of those synergies that, you know, that help us cross over for all those, those sectors. So what would be, if you're looking, um, let's say you're looking at a, a nickel mine or a gold mine of that, what, what is your, are you looking to supply all, all of 
all your components, are they a potential sale or is there a key, a few key product lines that you, you feel that you can enter into the market with? Yeah, really. I mean, like I say, the, our entry to a, a new client or a new customer, a new sector is really going in, uh, offering our strengths. So in that case, again, um, leading back to the, you know, the salesman analogy, you know, going in there looking to, to find out what we can sell to them is, you know, nowadays not the right strategy because nobody, you know, a lot of these, uh, the leaders and minds, they're, they're busy people and, you know, they don't have time to be sold to. Right. Whereas if we can go in and, you know, find out where, where their, um, their issues that they're having, where are they struggling with and finding out a lot of times that it's the same struggles that they're having in potash mines, for instance, where, you know, we've already built that, um, you know, that, that good base of, uh, of knowledge where we can offer different kind of, uh, unique solutions that are something that we can help, uh, you know, improve their efficiency in certain situations. And then from that point, we can, you know, kind of broaden our view in, in their sector and say, okay, you know, where else, you know, can we bring, you know, some of this thinking because, you know, again, different mining sector that we come from, but at the same time, it allows us to sort of think outside the box and be able to provide them unique solutions to problems that they could be currently struggling with. Did that approach that you have, um, did that, did that evolve? into that or is that sort of always been your approach um being at the helm of the company yeah definitely i mean uh, my early years so i've been with the company myself for 20 years now and you know in the, you know even in my early first five ten years you know the mines were still um you know for a great deal run by people who had just sort of evolved through the industry themselves so you know they might have started in maintenance or production underground and you know they were used to the typical you know, the sales, salesman type people who would come on site, you know, and, and, you know, it's really been the last, you know, 10, 15 years where a lot of those, you know, people have retired and been replaced by, you know, people with business and engineering backgrounds who really need uh, a different approach. They need to be approached, you know, thoughtfully, they need somebody to come in and, and help them with uh, concerns and, and problems that they're having, as opposed to coming in and looking to profit off the mine site, you know, so it's, it's been an evolution, but it's actually been very good because at the end of the day, you feel much better about yourself solving a problem for somebody than you do, you know, going in trying to convince somebody to buy something from you. <laughs> and it, it makes it much more exciting when you check your email and you, you and you see emails from them. You can kind of guess that it'll probably be positive because you already saw definitely and, and positive for both. It's a, it's a yeah. mutual it's a mutual uh, transaction in that sense where we're helping them and they're helping us. It's a you know, it's beneficial to both parties as opposed to, you know, it being one-sided if you're just selling them something. Um, you, you have done, and, you know, we, we've talked about potash, and, but you've done actually quite a bit of work out in, you know, BC and Alberta and, and around Canada. So can you talk a little bit about that? Um, you know, you can sort of pick the industries you'd want, um, you know, but I know you've done quite a bit in the coal mining sector out in Western Canada. So maybe yes. highlight that. Absolutely. And, you know, like a lot of our uh, strengths in the past were, again, like in that um, kind of that material handling and primary crushing, you know, to be able to size that initial ore that comes in from a mine. So we take it from a, you know, a, you know, an underground or a surface coal mine, for instance. I mean, a lot of the, the stuff comes in and needs to be sized to be able to be either put through the processing plant or shipped to the final customer. And so that's where we came in, um, you know, providing equipment for uh, surface and underground feeder breakers. To be able to size that equipment so we have 
you know, we've dealt with customers all across BC and Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, you know, on those type of um, applications, you know, and then it's, it's one of those things that have, you know, helped us to really branch out and to have that kind of long-term relationships with a lot of those, those clients, a lot of those, those um, different mining sectors that are outside of our, you know, our local core where we're physically located as well. Where you're, where you're physically located though, is that, um, you know, servicing a mine in BC or in Alberta, or I don't know if you move into the U S too much. Um, is that, is, is that any sort of challenge or is it the, you know, cause I know you have warehousing capabilities and all that sort of thing. Um, does that pose any limitations at all? Not really, simply because uh, for the most part, a lot of these uh, mining customers, you know, the larger open pit uh, coal operations, for instance, they have a, a vast quantity of very highly, highly trained, skilled, and very capable maintenance and production staff where, you know, on a day to day basis, they can very easily look after the issues that they have coming up. And, and it's just usually when there's something a little unique that comes up where we'll We'll assist them with something. We'll provide them a solution, you know, work with them. And then, you know, most of it after that point can be done remotely via email, telephone, uh, like we're doing right now with video too. Yeah. You know, it's a, it, it's a much different world than it used to be where, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of very capable people at each of these mine sites across Canada where, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, being able to provide whatever method of communication works for them. In some cases, of course, you have to be on site. You have to be able to put your hands on the piece of equipment that you're you're dealing with. But you know, after that point, a lot of it can be done remotely, and you know, it's just uh, it's more just check ins and cultivating those relationships. You know, I used to uh, um, I, I had a, a little siding company at one point and gutters mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And um, you know, quite frequently you'd have to drill into to anchor things into the cement and that sort of thing. And there's very two very different, there's probably more than two, but there's two extremely different types of people. There's someone that seems that the drill bit lasts about, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, you never have to replace it. And then the next person, me, uh, it's, uh, it's gone after about five minutes. Um, is that a major part of your business um, working with the operators? Like, and I don't understand that, you know, different types of steel and all that sort of thing. Is mm -hmm. that a big part of it? Um, figuring out what they're actually needing, how they operate, how they use their machines, all that type of thing. Absolutely. Because that's, you know, again, that's, you know, from a technical aspect, from an educational aspect, you know, it's working with, um, you know, the cutting conditions they have, the equipment they have, the ore conditions, but it's also, looking at it in terms of uh, the operators they have and the style that they're used to operating in, because, you know, you know, we can provide a, you know, an ideal component for one mine site that has exactly the same conditions as another, but they might have, uh, you know, whether it be um, a different culture of mining where they got used to mining in a certain fashion that, you know, will just require a slight modification to what they're providing. So whether it needs, you know, say a, a more robust carbide insert to be able to withstand, um, you know, the higher pressures they're mining in something that will just, you know, withstand additional heat or, you know, um, just be able to withstand the heat generated by the mining based on the fact that they just, they uh, put a vast more pressure on uh, their mining, you know, whether it be a higher advance rate or just they push their equipment a little harder, you know, so we can help offset that. Of course, it comes at a compromise of, you know, certain types of efficiency, but you know, at the end of the day, 
we want to make sure that we're accommodating the mind because, you know, uh, um, we have to keep them happy. We have to keep, uh, you know, their superiors happy in the sense of return on investment. So just because something works at one site doesn't mean it's going to work at another, even if their conditions are the same. So it's, uh, it's definitely one of those things, like I say, it, it comes down to that constant communication and just, you know, working with them on a, a site by site basis to make sure that we're providing something that works for how they need it and in the conditions that they're posed. So, Scott, I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of how you're, you, you mentioned you've been with the company for about 20 years. I wanted to touch on that a little bit before we wrap up the interview, but you mentioned, um, uh, uh, I don't, I don't think that's, um, it's, it's called Sparkling, but I've got it written right here. What? Yeah, Starclean. Starclean, yeah. Yep. Sorry, there's a there's a spelling error. I, it was mm-hmm. SR. Starclean. Um, and then you mentioned Alma. You also mentioned the keychain supplier um, that you work with, but I don't think you mentioned their names. What which company is that? Yeah. So um, we have we have uh, a couple other uh, very um, key strategic partners that we have. So we have Cincinnati Mine Machinery, who looks after um, you know uh, underground conveyor chains, uh, crawler chains. And other components that, uh, you know, again, we've um, had a wonderful relationship with them for about 50 years now. And, you know, they are, yeah, they're, uh, uh, you know, quite the industry leader in terms of, um, you know, conveyor chains and uh, crawler chains, other components for continuous miners, boring machines and road headers, uh, as well as trim chains for for boring machines. we have Bodell Company, who provides uh, cutter bars and trim chains for underground boring machines as well, and you know for some of the other soft rock uh, applications. And again, um, you know, just recently we have our one of our key strategic partnerships with Kenametal to be able to provide just a vast array of other, uh, you know, carbide components, wear components, and uh, other cutting tools for underground mining, surface mining as well. And so it's a lot of it is just it's it's gathering these together to be able to provide, you know, kind of an all encompassing, um, you know, set of, of components to be able to, I guess, to offer a customer, but to, to you know, to have tools in our toolbox to be able to provide solutions for them. Right. Um, you know, we have, you know, just recently as well, Hard Rock Vertex, who is a, you know, a very big player in the you know, underground roof support and face drilling in hard rock, soft rock mining as well. You know, we've had, um, you know, a very good relationship with them helping to expand their market and, you know, bring them to a, you know, um, you know, whole different soft rock market that, you know, in the past, they've been, you know, very, very prominent in the hard rock mining. So, you know, we've had a, a very good crossover relationship with them as well. So. I think it's a perfect time to then then transition into uh, into the leadership part um, of the company. So, how did you you mentioned uh, were you were the general manager at one point before you? Yes. So, yeah, started out in my early days. You know, with a mechanical engineering background, started out in technical service, and um, you know worked through that after maybe a decade or so. Ended up as a sales manager of the company, in a general manager after that, and then in 2018. Uh, had myself and a group of investors uh, ended up, uh, you know, purchasing the company and, you know, we've been running it quite successfully, you know, since that point as well. Was the group of company, is that, is that a group that you assembled together or is it, or is it a group that was interested and you, you joined up with? How did that come about? 
Yes. Yeah, so it, you know, it was it was a, a group that um, you know they they're actually again leading back to the the idea of strategic partners. You know, um, you know, they're somebody who again we're able to provide um, a lot other than financial backing. So you know, they also serve as as my board members with me as well. You know, uh, they each have very varied um, business um, and uh, you know. Um, you know, accounting backgrounds, things where, you know, we're able to, you know, really work on a lot of uh, very strategic key decisions together to be able to look at, um, you know, efficiently, um, you know, growing, uh, looking after our existing customers, but also, you know, um, you know, just acting as, uh, you know, a group of mentors as well to be able to really, um, you know, stay as strong as we are and be able to uh, grow and succeed year over year. So it's been a, a great transition. I don't, I don't want to just sort of let, uh, I think, a key part of uh, sort of a through line, like you said about strategic partners, is sort of becoming um, a theme in this, in this interview. And, and, yeah. I want to, and I want to dig into it in the sense that you hear that term a lot. Um, ironically, you actually hear talk about partnerships. I know this seems a little bit strange, a little bit negative, but you actually hear it from, it seems to me, a lot of people that almost don't play well with others. It's like they're expecting yes. partners to come on board. Yeah, but yeah. you've really, your whole career has revolved around doing that. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, and I, I've asked this kind of question before on the show, um, but I'm, I'm very curious your answer, because you've had so many different types of partners as the businesses evolve. Yeah. Will you, will you, 22 years old and, and you thought I'm going to learn how to develop partnerships and relationships and this, this sort of thing, or were you not, is it, was it just a natural progression? Yeah, I guess, I guess really a lot of it, like I say, um, the whole idea is looking after um, the needs of the customer, but really looking at it thoughtfully. And if you're going to develop a partnership with somebody, it has to be something that serves both parties. You know, it's, it, it can't be one-sided. It has to be something that each offers something and is able to enrich that relationship. So, you know, whether it be a strategic partnership with a, with a vendor or with a client or, um, you know, just a colleague in the industry, it's something where, you know, we're able to help grow from that and build off each other's strengths. And so, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it, it's something that, you know, you definitely have to check your ego when you're, when you're going into a lot of these, because the idea is, you know, the old cliche of surround your people, surround yourself with people smarter than yourself. You know, you have to to bring people that help elevate you, but to help you um, want to strive to provide something better, whether it's to provide something better for yourself and your family, um, which is natural at the end of the day, that's kind of the reason why you're here, but it's also to help, uh, you know, your customers uh, to be able to improve efficiencies and their own return on the investment to be able to make sure that these relationships last for the long term. And so a lot of these relationships you build have to be something that benefits everybody involved, whether it benefits us, the vendor, as well as that end customer so that, you know, we're able to provide value at the end of the day, because that's really where it all comes down to is the, the customer and our, our clients and our partners are looking for value. And that's what we need to provide them. So when did your, when did your group uh, come together? As, sorry, I know you said, but I, I, I can't remember which, when you said it, when did your uh, group how, how many years ago was that? In 2018. So we're, you know, going into our third year, really. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's been yeah. fairly new. So I have to ask that, is that, that must be quite, you've been in the business a long time. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, 
I, I don't know what you're, you're like, for me, that stuff sort of gets me amped up and it's sort of, it's almost a rush. Um, yes. What was that like putting that together? I mean, that, that moment when you go, okay, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to try to get a deal done. Oh, it's definitely nerve wracking. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a whole different, it's a whole different scenario from, you know, you know, acting in a general manager role. I mean, you're really at that point, you're, you're, you are running the company, but at the same time, you know, you get to go home at the end of the day and you're, there's some of that stress stays at work, you know, where, you know, a lot of it now it's, it's, it's a full-time endeavor, you know, emotionally. And so, but it's good again, finding people that you can surround yourself with that are, you know, not only like-minded, but also um, bring a lot more to the table than you'd expect. So, you know, again, it, it forces you to elevate yourself, you know, they all are able to provide something that, um, you know, fills a lot of those gaps that I may have in my own skill set to help me build and bring a more well-rounded uh, approach to leadership and and growing the company. Through you, you because you've had a few different roles. I think it's a relevant question. Is it what over the years? What what's been the most challenging job? What's out of, out of all of them? Um, even if it was your first one, whichever one it was, um, what did you wake up one day and go, "This this is tough." Well, I mean. You know, I, I would say, you know, probably, I mean, really, it would be the the more recent of, you know, I guess, leading in both a leadership and an ownership role where, I mean, you have a few different, um, different facets, you know, of course, there's the, you know, leading the company from an operational standpoint, a financial standpoint, but then, you know, have a lot more, at the end of the day, you have a lot more ownership over the HR aspect of the company right. as well, which is a, it's a, it's a, a different challenge, you know, so it's, yeah. A lot of different, um, a lot of different facets, kind of pointing at you at all times. Yeah, it's a, sort of a different thing, right? Because you're you're walking, in, you are running the company as a GM, but then the next day you walk in, and now you're one of the owners of the company, and these people mm -hmm. that have, you've worked with and have worked for you, uh, you you're now you're, you're not just their boss, but you're the <laughs> you run it, you own it. Um, yeah. So there must have been a, a, a transition time of that as well, right? Definitely, definitely. And it was, it's definitely one of those things where, again, you have to be careful, you have to keep your ego in check and make sure that, you know, um, I guess you're leading as much as you can. Again, it's a cliche, but leading as a leader and not as a boss, you know, it's going in and, and uh, you're trying to lead by example, but also um, being thoughtful and making sure that you're, again, the same way you're providing value to your clients and your customers, you're also providing value to your employees, making sure that, you know, they're, um, they're well looked after, that they have purpose, that they feel uh, like they have a part in the corporation in the sense that, you know, people have a voice, they have, a, um, they have some input into their futures as well. So, you know, it's uh, try to make it a positive aspect for everybody involved. And, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, you know, we have a, um, a smooth running operation where everybody is, you know, doing their part. Yeah. I, um, it's, yeah, I, I, I can just imagine sort of the, the excitement and the challenges that come, they kind of come hand in hand when you, when you take on a role, role like that, Scott, uh, thanks for coming on the show. I, um, you know, it's your types of businesses are business is so interesting because it's like this it's woven into the industry and it's i always mm -hmm. find it so interesting um it's like i said there's machines going everywhere but then there's companies like yours that are just they're the ones that are actually making these 
um, machines efficient and making sure that they don't shut down and all that sort of stuff. So I'm really happy to have you on the show. I, I hope at some point, especially it seems like there's this this sort of willingness and, and desire for the company to continue to expand. So I hope we sort of stay in touch um, and, and maybe in a year or so have you back on and just sort of see where things are progressing to. It'd be interesting. That'd be wonderful, for sure. I, I would welcome that. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Okay. That was fun. <laughs> yes, it was. You know what's funny? <laughs> it's uh, BitService is one of these companies um, that I walk by like I'll walk by machines and I'll go like, I wonder, I wonder how they get that. Does the OEM supply? It's one of these just like kind of half thoughts I always have. Yeah. Especially when I was grinding rust off machines at Savannah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had lots of time to think about these things. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we had them on. Um, Gowdy, where can people like, follow, comment, share, suggest guests? And whatever else. Uh, well, first up, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, we've got two episodes a week on there um, and growing. So please subscribe. Um, also, if you'd like to be a guest on one of the shows, Mining Now, Crownsman Energy, or The Crownsman Show, contact us, info at crownsman.com. Um, that's also if you'd like to recommend someone um, or if you'd like to sponsor uh, one of the episodes. Yeah. Got a lot of sponsors coming on actually. We've we got do, some big yeah. episodes coming up. So thank you to everybody who sponsored. Um, please stay in touch. We will see you on the next episode of Mining Now. And thank you very much, Scott Barr, for coming on. It was a fun interview. See you on the next episode, everyone.